1: With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell.
0: Ah, Heard Tell Show, welcome back, I'm Andrew Donaldson thrilled to have you join us with the most precious thing you have your time got a couple things we want to get to today on the program a lot of people asking why we hadn't talked about the mar-a-lago search warrants yet well the truth is because we haven't recorded a show yet this week we've been pre-recording because i had a medical thing had to be taken care of along with a couple other life things going on we're going to cover it today i did some writing about it we're going to talk about also to end the program A really incredible piece of video, Uh, some good sportsmanship, Little League, World Series, regional playoffs, an incident that could have gotten really ugly and really bad, turned into a viral moment of teamwork and sportsmanship. We're going to get to that to end the show. We always like to end on a good note here on Herd Tell. In the middle of those two things, though, one of our favorites, y'all love her because we get great feedback when she's on, historian Sarah Stook is once again with us. She wants to talk about presidential health. More specifically, not health, because these are all presidents that died in office, eight of them. Now, some of them were from assassinations. You probably know them. Do you know the ones that died of illness? Eight presidents, a lot of good history. Good little break from the news of the day. We always enjoy having always enjoy having Sarah Stook on the program. We're going to ask her about the history of these folks, some history you may not know. Also, the important question, modern medicine, could some of these people have survived If they had modern medicine and one president for sure that probably would have survived if they would have just left him alone. Sarah stuck on the program today, one of our favorite guests, to do a little history talk. But let's get to the issue of the moment, the Mar-a-Lago search warrants and the ongoing saga of former President Donald Trump and what is apparently a DOJ investigation. Now, let's preface this real quick of what kind of investigation this is because we got a couple moving parts here. We have the former president being deposed up in New York. That's a separate case. We have the January 6th committee doing an investigation, although they don't have any power to do anything other than refer. That's a separate thing. And we also know the DOJ itself is investigating January 6th also because they've got hundreds and hundreds of people that are already been either in court convicted or awaiting trial based off that. That's also a separate thing. So there's a lot of cross streams here where people want to put them all together. By all the reporting and everything we know, this is related to the National Archives complaint that when he was president, Donald Trump took classified materials and other archivable stuff that by law has to say in the White House. By the way, this is a law that President Trump signed in 2018 that updated all this. He took all this material down to Mar-a-Lago with him. We know this because they went down there in June and visited and was trying to find some of this. Now, some of it's already been returned but apparently they think there's more to it, and that's what this was about. It was not specifically about January 6th as of this time. Anyway, this all went down on Monday night. This was also the day that Olivia Newton-John died, so I wanted to just sit down and watch a little grease with everybody in my family and deal with a cookie situation where the youngest youngins' cookies didn't come out really well, although she's an excellent baker, and she'll make that up quickly. All hell broke loose, so then we had to deal with this. And that's when everybody lost their mind. This is me writing in ordinary-times.com. Thus, the freakout commenced. Before a -a Mar-a-Lago staff had even gotten the gates closed behind the departing feds, the interwebs started losing their minds over the events of the day. Predictably, we've gotten nearly six years of Trump coverage that rages from the periodic we got him for this time for sure to the constant drumbeat of political witch hunt from the former president's very own lips, tweets, and whatever it is that social media platform that doesn't seem to work very well is now called. The Mar-a-Lago search warrants was immediately crudgelized. It's like a crudgel, for those of you from Logan. It's something you beat people over the head with. Um, by his own online supporters, who sang of the Stasi in a synchronized staccato that I'm sure was totally organic and not at all coordinated since they all were tweeting the same things over and over again. A banana republic, that's a quote declaring the sitting governor of Florida, who not very discreetly wants to be more than just the governor of Florida. Of course, let's hang the American flag upside down as a symbol of distress because the country is in distress along with unhinged civil war comparisons and political persecution as tweeted out by that dunderheaded sitting congresswoman from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who had spent the previous weekend publicly enjoying Trump's company at a golf event. Not to be outdone the sheer widespread panic front, there is multiple cases of people sending out, quote, If they can do it for a former president, imagine what they can do to you. And that last one, verbatim, is from the official Twitter feed of the House Judiciary GOP. Just ruminate on that for a minute. The republic isn't going to fall, at least not today, and Trump isn't going to see the inside of a courtroom for being up on charges anytime soon either, if ever. Probably especially not from this Mar-a-Lago search warrant, since we can mostly deduce what this was apparently about. It was about the National Archives wanting these documents back, and yes, it's illegal, and yes, it should be investigated. The legal part of these documents gets sticky as far as getting a conviction of criminality, because with some notable exceptions, the president can declare things to be unclassified. However, there's a process to that. They have to actually go through a process to declare those and give them approved to be declassified. Even his own supporters concede that the paperwork involved might not be up to snuff. We figure it probably isn't. You can see that the legal fight involved here is not going to be quick and clean, and it's not going to be settled promptly. This is going to get drug out if this becomes a chargeable thing. The mar lago search warrant is also not, despite the interwebs and some news media talking heads' insistence, related to anything January 6th related at this time or any of the other various investigations that are always one step away from Donald J. Trump being frog-marched off in cuffs, as some have been predicting since his descent from the Golden Escalator and into political relevancy. But it also is not a nothing. And unless there was some serious malfeasance somewhere in the chain of acquiring a federal search warrant from a federal magistrate to executing the Mar-a-Lago search warrant, there is a something here. Something, not a nothing, that already know taking of documents from the White House that is against the law that needs to be fully investigated. This has long been part of the problem of a Donald Trump-centric media and political discourse. It is always, immediately, in all things, a choose-your-own-adventure of media coverage and social media hot takes with folks cranking the hyperbole and vitriol up to 11, since they can avatar the situation to become what they always wanted it to be anyway. Let the investigation play out is not a popular choice. It doesn't get you to the straight ending that you really want to so badly that you cheat to choose your own adventure and move along to something else and try to get to exactly where you want to be. But it is the right way. Let the investigation play out. Turn down the noise of we got him this time. And the caterwauling justifying pretzel logic that not only is Trump above the law, but that he cannot even be investigated because of Hillary Hunter or a thousand other things from the previous edition of Choose Your Own Adventure Political Corruption. They can do it to you only makes sense if you accept the premise that you are exactly like Trump, just as a morally and casually corrupt to break norms and rules with thoughtless will. Then you see everyone is doing it, so it's totally wrong to even investigate because then you are just picking on the one person who knows what's really going on or something. Witch hunt garble garble. Just let the story breathe. Let the investigation play out. Then start parsing out if the investigation was properly conducted and if its conclusions have merit. Most importantly, go do something else while the investigation works. This is going to be weeks, if not months. Go take a walk. pet a puppy. Watch Grease and let the dearly departed Olivia Newton-John sing hopelessly devoted to you about Danny Zuko. And let the timeless piece of work stay just that, singing such a song lyrics that politicians are worse, dedicating your whole personality and personal agency to the narrative of the day it just makes you look silly. To me writing at ordinary-times.com we'll link to the full piece more hotel right after this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early Uh, welcome back to her She's one of our favorites. We take a break from the politics of the day, talk a little history, usually some kind of presidential history. We just did about four or five of the first lady ones. If you missed any of those, make sure you go back and watch them. She also wrote about it, electionsdaily.com, our good friends over there. We got another one. We're doing presidents and presidential health. Sarah Stook, great to see you again, my friend. How are you?
1: Great to be back.
0: I uh, love having you. OK, so everybody talks about President Biden's health. Talked about it a little bit with Trump a couple different times. Talking about presidential health is not a new thing. And not only is it not a new thing, it's actually a pertinent thing because we've had quite a few presidents actually die in office, haven't we?
1: Eight. Which is, you know, pretty alarming for of well, natural causes one might say, and then for who sort of at the end of the assassin's bullet and more who probably nearly died, you know, Reagan was shot, Jackson was tried. There was presidents get poorly, but unfortunately there has been eight who have died well in office
0: it's funny in the american system because you of course you're in the uk um it's very (laughs) you're just used to your leaders resigning or getting out of office some other way we we've had only one resignation although we've had a couple that gotten close we only had one resign but we've had eight die in office that's kind of unusual in the grand scheme of things isn't it
1: well in you know obviously not an absolute monarchy but in monarchies do you expect them to die because that's kind of the point and then they will go on to their son, daughter, whoever. But you kind of expects that in leaders. They you know a lot of these, uh, they're older blokes. They're, you know, some of their health isn't too great. Living in times where modern medicine wasn't around. Anyone could die of anything.
0: Let's go through these because these are just fascinating. And I love doing these kind of histories. The first one to die in history was William Henry Harrison. Now he was 68. So in 1841, that's actually pretty old. Uh modern technology people tend to live a little longer now. Sixty-eight was a pretty good run back then. Uh he died. We're not exactly sure. Pneumonia, typhoid, something, but give a little background though, who William Henry Harrison was, kind of one of the more probably unknown presidents to the modern here.
1: Well, to quote Simpsons when did the president's day, he lived for thirty days, and we're gonna be ten o'clock was 31. Um, He was a war hero who had um, made himself to be a hard-drinking man log cabin bloke, even though he was from quite good stock, who famously did a very, very long inaugural dress in March, in snow and rain in Washington, which is a big no-no. But there is the myth that I think most people believe that he died because of that. Not technically true. He did get pneumonia later, as he used to like walking around Washington meeting people without a coat. And yeah, it's a swamp. It's 1841 and it's a swamp. So he developed what is believed to be pneumonia or typhoid. And after a month in office, he died. And everyone was like, oh, boom, we didn't know what to do because it was the first time it happened. There was no real precedent. So everyone was like, is John Talley president? Is the acting president? What is going on?
0: yeah and it's interesting you made a mention on this is the swamp killed him and that's not like what president trump always talked about the swamp or the, the dc is literally built on a swamp it's a tidal basin it's it's a swamp and this kind of weather and you mentioned it this almost killed george washington back in 1799
1: yeah i mean you can president obviously presidents get poorly but you know back when washington was around and adams and all those well yeah because you know you you got yellow fever, you got malaria, you got all sorts of things, so outbreaks and epidemics, especially in, you know, obviously Washington did reside in Washington, but later presidents, you're always going to run that risk.
0: Also, interesting, and I found this kind of morbidly funny. You mentioned that there might have been a real simple thing that also made his health bad that in 1844, the White House's water supply was diluted. This is not uncommon in that era. Uh, sewage and bacteria they didn't have clean drinking water pretty amazing that something as simple as clean drinking water probably attributed to the ill health of a president but that's that was the case for thousands and if not millions of people in that and era it also
1: happens. it kills millions every year there's always adverts in the uk about you know water aid getting clean and safe water you had you, there were typhoid epidemics unfortunately clean water is so important but you know sadly is still a problem But we associate it in the western world with harrison and that generation
0: yep. all right in your piece electionsdaily.com we uh, link to it you always go could they have survived today pneumonia is very serious in fact pneumonia is a very big killer because usually somebody that's sick of something else they die in pneumonia because they get it in the hospital you know a lot of cancer patients die in pneumonia, die in pneumonia. freddie mercury yeah. Yeah, you, pneumonia is what kills you when you're sick with something else. But it is treatable now. Again, we mentioned 68 pretty old back then. Modern day era, does he survive, you think?
1: He didn't really seem to have anything else too badly wrong with him. He survived war, so, you know, pretty tough customer. Antibiotics, bed rest, typhoid, you could have a vaccine. He would survive. Pretty might feel a bit rough, but would be all right.
0: Yeah. So he was the first, and everybody kind of panicked, didn't know what to do, but Zachary Taylor did the same thing nine years later. Um, Taylor's such an interesting character in history. He does not He's another one of those that's kind of got those inter-period before the Civil War presidents just don't get the press that the other ones seemed to do, but he was a very interesting character in history. Talk for just a second about who Zachary Taylor was leading up to his presidency before we get to what actually killed him.
1: He was another war hero and very well regarded who was replaced by a guy called Millard Fillmore so you know that's this fascinating war hero taken and succeeded by a guy with a very strange name that somehow everybody forgets he um, was at a 4th of July celebration he had um, some cherry with raw milk with raw rice and yeah he died of gastroenteritis something along those lines because that water that milk that ice was not very clean
0: now this actually sparked a big conspiracy theory at the time because it seemed so out of the blue because he was seen, he was 65 but again war hero was seen as pretty healthy and virulent at the time there was a conspiracy that maybe there was an assassination here that it was arsenic that it was some kind of poisoning because it did seem so out of the blue and because he did seem to suffer of a stomach thing for, I think, what, five or six days he lingered before he finally died of it.
1: And plus, you know, there was rumours that, you know, the Confederates, well, the later Confederates, the South versus the North, they weren't happy with him. And they did, you know, dig up his body years later and said there was a bit more than normal, but no indication that it would have killed him.
0: So was it a conspiracy or did he just eat too much fruit and milk?
1: Fruit and milk, sadly, I think, you know, with uh, very unclean water, sort of went of the way of Henry Harrison.
0: So something like uh, gastroenteritis, perhaps cholera, which was very common at the time. Taylor, he gets it today. Does he survive, you think?
1: I mean, gastroenteritis is not very fun, but, you know, with proper rest, proper treatment, you can be better uh cholera still exists however there are medications for it and well he wouldn't have maybe even got it today because his water would have been clean
0: All right, here's one everybody probably thinks they know, but there's probably some ins and outs of it that folks probably aren't aware of. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's survival is not part of this, although he lived for, what, 12 hours after he got shot through the head, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, Lincoln, of course, was assassinated. We know John Wilkes Booth. We know it was a close-range gunshot to the back of the head. But what's some of the other parts of this assassination that people don't really think of when they hear about Lincoln's assassination? He was 57 years old, in his youth, he was extremely athletic. He was known to be a very good wrestler, very wiry kind of guy. So his his health, was his health good while he was in office? He wrote himself about the extreme strain of the Civil War. We see the before and after pictures of just four years in office. Before the assassination, how was Lincoln's health, you think?
1: Um, his health wasn't, you know, amazing. It wasn't, you know, as bad as some presents like Kennedy. But, you know, he suffered many ailments of the day. It's believed that he suffered from depression. His wife was also very mentally unwell. So that was an added stress. He lost his children. There's believed he have he's had some kind of conditions. However, these are ones that you can't really diagnose all these years later. Um, yeah, he was shot point blank, which in the film, if someone gets shot in the head, they usually just die. But it's not usually like that in real life, it's not just a, it's loud, it's messy, it's not just a little bullet hole. Back of the head, what it did to him, he lived for about nine hours. Um, When they took him across to the boarding house, the doctor said, yeah, there's nothing we can do. It was a case of keeping him comfortable. Even today, it's very unlikely. There are some people, some surgeons who have been interviewed who said he could have lived, but he would have had extremely severe deficits, you know, motor function, speaking, thinking. And, you know, back then, the treatment of disabled people wasn't fantastic. And he could have died from anything else. But I don't believe he would have survived. Point blank to the back of the head. You know, he's not, not in that.
0: And for the forensic nuts that watch all those shows on TV, the Derringer that he's using in the civil, one of the reasons the Civil War was so brutal these aren't bullets like we have today. These guys are just shooting chunks of metal at each other that are soft lead and they, they basically deform as soon as they hit anything. This isn't like a quick, clean bullet wound like you see today. This is just a big chunk of metal at a low muzzle velocity going right in the back of somebody's head. So that's also it, it's why he lived as long as he did, but it's also why it's so destructive for the medicine of the time. These kind of wounds were just brutal.
1: Oh, completely. He, you know, even today, like I said, I mean, there are some people get shot in the head and survive. It's, you know, it's, they're very lucky. But like I said, it's not like in the films. And as you said, it'd be very destructive. And, you know, it would have killed probably even a healthier man. If it could be a young 20-something man. Sadly, it's one of those things that doesn't really discriminate by age or health.
0: Yeah. And historically, just put a little perspective on it, because we've had two presidents die in office before this. We've had. You got to think of the time period. The Civil War was extremely traumatic to the nation. This was really something that just struck everybody to the absolute core when Lincoln got shot, wasn't it?
1: I mean, it's the first time the president was assassinated in office. So you know, it's not just a death; it's an assassination. As you said, at the end of extremely traumatic and bloody war. He led the nation through it, so you couldn't really imagine anybody else, sort of like Roosevelt with World War II, taking over. And then if you said to somebody. Famous assassinations, even the UK people might say Lincoln.
0: Really? Why is that? It's just because it's such a strong because you you've had you've had some stuff in UK history as well. It's it's interesting they would say Lincoln.
1: Well, we've only had one Prime Minister assassinated and that was Spencer Percival back in the early 19th century. But when you think of assassinations, you might think attempted assassinations, you might think of you know, Margaret Thatcher. Maybe in the UK, maybe Lord Mountbatten, IRA, sort of that kind of one. But If you said to me, assassinations, my mind would immediately go to maybe like Martin Luther King.
0: Right. And you talked before that Kennedy was kind of a worldwide thing for a lot of folks as well. Fascinating stuff. One more of this earlier era, and then we're going to get into the more of a modern era of presidents. But um, (laughs) James A. Garfield, I find this case so fascinating because... I've actually read quite a bit of the medical stuff. I've watched some shows on this. This is one of those, if they'd left him alone, he probably might have lived. But we'll get into that Just just start with James A. Garfield, who he was, a little bit about his presidency and what led up to this uh, assassination.
1: He was quite young. I think he was only about 49, 50 when he died. Um, so one of our younger presidents, he was a Republican who had served under Rutherford B. Hayes and Paulson uh, McKinley, a few of the Civil War presidents. He was coming out of a station, a train station, along with um, Lincoln's son, who had an unfortunate timing of being around or near three of the four presidential assassinations that he was alive for. So he was shot by uh, Charles Guiteau, who was a uh, mentally ill man who believed he was, you know, somehow related to Richard III of England. As Garfield, um, he'd pledged to end the act of patronage where people would basically support you and then you'd get a job he was against that and um he and he tried to get hold of Garfield because back then you could basically walk into the White House it's a little bit concerning and you know Garfield said no and so unfortunately he was shot and he lingered for quite a while quite a few months um like you said the bullet wound I mean obviously no bullet wound is a particularly a good thing but if it had been left alone or actually surgically done surgically properly, he would have been fine. He was young, fairly healthy. There's no reason to think he wouldn't survive, even in that day and age. But they hadn't actually worked out about bacteria yet and that you're supposed to wash your hands. So, you know, they thought where well, doctors... It was it was considered extremely offensive to cons- uh, say that doctors were um, unclean. The person who discovered germ theory was actually locked in an asylum for daring to suggest that. The hands of doctors were unclean. So they were prodding around, poking everything, while he was in probably absolute agony. And at first it thought it would survive, and then it sort of went a bit downhill from there.
0: And there was a comedy of errors here. Um, Alexander Graham Bell showed up with a prototype of a metal detector, but he was laying on a metal spring bed, so that didn't work. Uh, most of the doctor documentation is they were actually on the wrong side of the body looking for the bullet because they didn't understand they didn't understand ballistics at the time, so they didn't understand it had stopped on the other side, and they were looking in the wrong place. They prodded him with bare hands, as you told. He lived for three. This went for three months, and he had. Yeah, he went for three months. They moved him back to New Jersey, trying to heal him that way. This was a god awful mess medically. But politically, this was a mess, too, because Chester Arthur was the vice president. The assassin had stated he wanted Arthur to be president. So obviously he was trying to do a low profile thing. He didn't really want to take over the reins. This was a mess on a lot of levels, wasn't it?
1: I mean, people accuse Arthur of being behind the assassination and is not the uh, last president to be accused of being behind it, as we will see with Johnson a little later on. So, you know, not, I, don't, I think people, vice presidents want to be president, but unfortunately, it only usually happens when the president's heartbeat stops.
0: Yeah. I've always found it fascinating if it, the picture is infamous, but I would have loved for there to have been some decent high quality video of Johnson swearing in on the plane, because you can just see it on his face. Like he does not want to be there. Like you can just <laughs> see it, and Jackie's there and it's, it had to be just, you know, hellish to go through that. And they took a still picture and that's probably why there is no video and film of it. Cause they probably was like, not filming this, but I think it would have been fascinating to see. Okay, uh, that's kind of the older area. We're going to get into the modern era, um, more presidential death, assassination, and otherwise, unfortunately, in the modern era, that's pretty much the only way it happens. We're going to talk a little bit more about presidential health. Our historian friend, Sarah Stook from over in the UK, electionsdaily.com, and The Mallard, we love having her. More with her right after this on her till. Welcome back to Herddale. We're talking to our friend Sarah Stuck over in the UK, our historian friend. We're talking about presidents, presidential health, more specifically those who health failed either by illness or an assassin's bullet. This is the latter, Uh, William McKinley, 1901. He's 58 years old. He goes to this exhibition up in Buffalo. Uh, Again, it's amazing. This story isn't more well-known than it is. He walks into the exhibition hall, and he is... to kind of simplified gets gut shot by this guy this radical crazy man doesn't kill him directly in fact one of one of the most amazing scenes in presidential history he's laying there bleeding and gut shot the mob starts to beat this dude to death and mckinley raises his voice and tells them to stop and they stop which is just amazing but talk about M- william mckinley his assassination and this is really a pivotal moment in american history not just because the poor president got assassinated but because of who his vice president was and who his vice president became?
1: Well, he was um, just started his second term. His uh, original vice president being Garrett Hobart, who had sadly died of a heart attack. So uh, Theodore Roosevelt became vice president because he'd become far too troublesome as governor of New York, and the Republican Party wanted him in a dead-end position. It was uh, Mark Hanna who said, if that damn cowboy will be president if anything happens to Garfield, which... You know, I so, uh, McKinley, which sadly came through. So um, McKinley was at the Buffalo World Ex- uh, Expedition, uh, uh, Expedition. I can't say it. Uh, Expedition. Exhibition, and um, he was shaking hands. Now, usually, you would have to have both of your hands showing, but because it was a hot day, people had handkerchiefs. So the Secret Service said, "Yeah, that's fine." They said to him, "Don't go and shake hands." But McKinley was a very social man who could shake, you know, fifty hands in like a minute. He was very good, and he was of the belief that nobody would want to harm the president. So before he got to his assassin, he shouldn't have a little girl, and he gave her his lucky um, pin which is a little ironic because the next person who shot off his hand shot him in the stomach.
0: Yeah, it was a mess. But here's another one. Initially, they thought he would live. He seemed to be doing decently well. In fact, uh, Roosevelt had rushed back from he was in, vacationing up at Saginaw. He rushed back and then he even went back on vacation. They thought the president was going to live. Unbeknownst to them, he actually had a cardiac issue that nobody knew about. He actually died of probably pancreatitis. Um, when they looked into this. Uh, Here's another one where he kind of lingered for a while and it was kind of surprising when he died because they thought he might actually live from this.
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, funnily enough, x-ray machine was being exhibited at the exhibition and they thought no it's not it's too early to use it which is kind of understandable but hindsight is a wonderful thing yeah you know Roosevelt was told that he would be all right he said okay cool I'm gonna go back on holiday which is a li- you'd think they would say you know just stay just in case but this was before, even before the vice president had you know a little more power than they did so you think, yeah. So it was a little worrying. He went off. Um, he seemed okay, um, McKinley. But it turns out gangrene, which is ugh. And sadly, he died in a fair amount of pain.
0: Yeah, and one of the real sad. His last words were actually about his wife. Uh, one of the sad scenes of this was his wife. I guess completely lost it right towards the end. As as the near the end was near, and it was obvious she had a total breakdown, and that kind of finished him off. Poor guy. Um, Here's another one, though, survival, modern medicine with the underlying cardiac issue. I don't know if he actually, it would be easy to say, yeah, surgery could have saved him. But with the other issues he had, surgery is a complicated thing. That's traumatic on the body. I know this one firsthand. Um, would he have been saved modernly? I think this one's kind of up in the air.
1: Um, he was shot in the stomach, which as far as getting shot is concerned, is probably the worst place because you know it can bounce around and oh, it's not very nice. Um, his cardiac issue probably could have been you know foreseen it would have been diagnosed Um, I think you know Garfield was pretty much a certainty he could have lived today McKinley so so I think with the with good treatment with good outcome sure but you know people can die of getting their appendix out and getting the tonsils out like surgery always carries that risk no matter how good the surgeon and how you know clean and sterile the environment is
0: all right, here's somebody we talked about when we did the first ladies to some extent because um, his other proclivities outside of politics. We'll leave it at that. Uh, Warren G. Harding, interesting character, uh, died of, apparently of a heart attack. He sat straight up in bed and started convulsing and basically keeled over dead. Uh, talk about Warren Harding and him dying in office. Again, here's a guy who was probably in poor health in general, he was 57. Uh, Again, like we talked about on the First Lady's episode, kind of an interesting character anyway. Talk about him for a minute.
1: Um, Harding was in his first term. He was extremely, extremely popular because Teapot Dome and a lot of the other scandals had not come out yet. That would severely ruin his reputation. He was very gregarious. He was very open, especially compared to Wilson. who was a bit of a cold fish. Um, There was a trip with the presidential posse um, down the West Coast of America, starting at Alaska. Harding didn't initially want to go but Florence said, I'm seeing Alaska and that's that. So went to Alaska you know, he got a bit of um, food poisoning but was okay. Then moved on to Oregon which is when he started to feel poorly so they cancelled that trip and went to San Francisco. Um, He was still fairly poorly, they diagnosed some kind of heart condition, perhaps a stomach condition. He said he was okay walking to the hotel but he sadly collapsed and had to be helped back up. They uh, prescribed him with medicine that actually probably actually helped trigger his heart attack because they didn't know what heart attack was at the time his wife florence was reading some praise um praise in the news his last words were that's good read on and like you said suddenly which his heart convuls went dead and by the time florence was back, well he was dead basically by the time he hit the bed,
0: yeah what effect did this have in history because again harding's kind of one of those forgotten presidents because of the people that came before and directly after him he died in 1923 um, just big picture wise, what was how did the country take this news?
1: Well, you know he was very popular at the time because, like I said, didn't know about the scandals, and you know, the in air uh, industry was booming. The economy was enjoying rapid success. Um, you, sort of one of those things. What you know, what would have happened? He probably would have won re-election, but you know Calvin Coolidge took over a popular president, especially among Republicans even to this day, but it's quite a shock because he's this popular guy with a popular wife. And suddenly, you know, he just has a heart attack.
0: All right. A towering figure in American history, Uh, the longest serving president, Franklin D. Roosevelt. We know his health was bad. It was hidden from the public at the time. Of course, we know he couldn't stand unassisted, these sorts of things. Uh, Died died at age 63, 1945. Uh, The cause of death was listed as a cerebral hemorrhage. This had to just be brutal to a nation who had just kind of come to rely on FDR, whatever you thought of his politics and all that stuff. He'd been president for um, half a generation at this point. He'd been Um, president
1: for 12 years. Many people couldn't remember a time before him.
0: Yeah, really. And, you know, World War II is winding down. People are starting to see the the, the light at the end of the tunnel of World War II. They're starting to be hopeful that the war is going to come to an end. And then this hits the country just culturally and politically, though this was really a bomb to america that was otherwise distracted by world war ii right well,
1: i can't say i was alive for it but well, no well, like, you're yeah.
0: a historian so
1: yeah um, i can't use the before my time excuse that many years And um, he was in very poor health and um, you know it's believed he had um either polio or a similar disease um gillia barry disease which is sort of similar but Historians aren't sure which one it was. He was in poor health generally. He had heart issues, blood uh, pressure, tension. When he came back from Yalta... Everybody shot even at Yalta, Churchill and Stalin were like, "Whoa, this dude is poorly." And you can sh- tell
0: in the pictures, like he's he's leaning over in the chairs; he's not sitting up. You he's so just gaunt. the picture, yeah, you can tell in the pictures of the Yalta conference. I think was it Stalin? I think Stalin had actually wrote in some of his personal writings about how bad FDR looked at Yalta, um, among other things. So it it was kind of probably more well known outside of America than inside of America, just how poorly he was, wasn't it?
1: because back then you could hide the secret service would take the cameras of photographers who'd seen him in his wheelchair they would have it destroyed or bribe them otherwise so you know it's not like today where every move is you know taken we all know about Joe biden having covid for example so it kept quiet but he was he, he was always quite a poorly a poorly man he was never healthy you know paralysis aside he had so many issues it's such a bit of a wonder how he wasn't killed earlier as maybe sheer willpower got him through because, you know, he just started fourth term which we're never going to see again because of constitutional amendments.
0: be fair to FDR, though, um, we know what the Civil War did to Lincoln. Uh, Wilson wrote about the strain of World War One, even though that was only really about a two-year, 18-month period, and he was incapacitated for part of that, but that's another story for another day. We know what um, JFK and Johnson and Nixon wrote about Vietnam. We know what W has talked about, the war on terror, Obama has talked about it. Wartime presidents, and that war specifically, where it was all-encompassing because you had the entire country on a war footing you had you know the biggest conflict the world has ever seen hopefully ever will see it yeah. had to have taken a toll it just had th- there's no way that doesn't grind a man up i don't care what kind of man it is right
1: He'd been president i um, mean the war had been going on for just about four years in america It's a bit longer because you guys were pretty late to the game easy you
0: now we got there eventually
1: yeah it took you a while there didn't it and um, you know you're seeing you know your land's attacked, millions of young boys and men being shipped off to, to, you know, he did put the Japanese-American internment camps, whether he actually felt sorry for that or not, is a different matter. It's not easy being a president, even in peacetime, I'd argue. Wartime is just the kettle of fish entirely, which is why I firmly believe if a president, prime minister or leader puts themselves, you know, in glory in wartime, that is why they're remembered. And i think foreign policy can make or break a president and you know his obviously foreign policy is still extremely uh domestic is really well guarded, today and he is constantly seen as one of one if not the best president but yeah it was long and tiring still managed to t- find time for affairs though
0: yeah a uh, great movie um about the Hudson, Bill Murray plays FDR. You ought to go watch that movie at some point. Okay, here's the one that looms large anytime you do a list of presidents dying in office. I guess generationally, this might be easing off just a little bit because time passes, but the assassination of JFK, we've talked about it before uh, with you as we've talked about presidents over the years. Where does this sit in the consciousness today? Because again, that that generation where, oh, everybody knew where they were when JFK died. You know They're getting older now it's more of a historical thing now than a lived experience does it still loom as large as it did and where is it in the in kind of the collective consciousness the assassination of jfk i
1: don't think my generation has had it you remember where you were moment, yeah. The 1963 assassination was something my nana can remember, and said everyone was very shocked and upset because he was young and handsome and popular. You know, for my mum, it was Princess dina dying and 9 11. I was alive in 9 11, but I was pretty young, so I have absolutely no memory of it. But yeah, that was the remember where you were moment, and you know, it was so sudden, it wasn't like he was known to be poorly. I mean, he was, I mean, he was probably one of the sickest president we've ever seen but this was hidden of course because you could back then and joe kennedy spent a lot of money trying to hide it so he's going along and you know people don't realize how unsafe dallas was for him this was you know just the civil rights movement was really gaining speed when you know race relations were so poor dallas was dangerous they were he was told and no one in times you should probably not go there were threats. The Secret Service was processing hundreds, if not thousands of threats, handbills calling Kennedy a traitor. But he had to because he needed Texas 64. So off he went with Jackie. And, you know, usually Jackie didn't go, but they'd lost their son, Patrick, very shortly before. And she said, OK, I'll come. And she was you know, extremely popular. So she was sort of a great campaign asset. He went with you know, Governor uh, Con- uh, Connolly, Nellie Connolly, the Johnsons, driving along and suddenly boom three shots two hit him one sort of in the neck area and one in the head he's straightened up by his brace his back brace so that hits him blood skull bone fragments all over the car clint hill jumps on the top they rush to parkland you know he was certainly wouldn't survive. This isn't a case of Garfield and McKinley when it was definitely either. Either I mean, even Roosevelt, you know, cerebral hemorrhages are really, really bad at the best of times, and you know he couldn't. The man of his health, health and age, even today, probably wouldn't survive. But with Kennedy, you know, people could say survive, but you know the man had half his skull out. When they got to Parkland, they looked at him and said, "No." I mean, they tried. They had to do something—thoracotomy, heart massage. But you know, he was missing half his brain, half his skull. He wasn't. He never regained consciousness. He was kind of there, but not there. Last rites. daddy's his last rites like five, six times in his life. So his was a very horrific death. Not I mean. Hopefully for him, it was instantaneous. But you know, for Jackie and the Connollys, because I mean, we forget Governor Connolly was shot as well. Luckily, he survived.
0: And the thing about kennedy that they didn't know then because the press is different we do know now kennedy may not have lived out his term anyway because his health was his health was so bad they had him on all kinds of drugs to keep him going the the reason that when you look at the video of the assassination he falls so funny like you mentioned he had to wear a very heavy back brace to kind of keep him upright because his back was so shot he was taking massive amounts of drugs both for his condition and also for pain management kennedy was in horrible shape health wise um, we believe he had Addison's disease, which is an autoimmune disease. He may not have lived his term out anyway, which is one of those great "what ifs" with Kennedy. Everybody talks about. Well, what if he didn't get shot? It's like, well, if he didn't get shot, his health was so bad, it's hard to tell what would have happened with the poor I guy.
1: I mean, even if the bullet had hit a sort of a less dangerous place, he probably wouldn't have made surgery out of. He wouldn't have got out of the theater alive. There's a good, very good chance of that. Like you said, it is a miracle. Like if you read his health history, it's just. It's unbelievable how that man lived his age. I mean, today it might have been a bit better with modern medicine, but he still had a lot of diseases. I mean, Addison's disease is a lot better now, but still, autoimmune disorders is never particularly a good thing.
0: No, it's not. Okay, uh, to bring all this into the we have a president who's pushing 80, will be over 80 when he runs for re-election. If he chooses to do so, his primary opponent, President Trump, ain't exactly young either. We have... <laughs> The top four or five people in the line of presidential secession are either close to or over 80, Uh, Speaker Pelosi and um, Grassley. We are going to have more and more geriatric politicians. We have a bunch of them now. What is fair and what is not fair to talk about age and health when it comes to a president or a senator or even a congressman, do you think?
1: I think, you know, when it's retrospective, you know, a lot of people uh, make comments about Barry Goldwater being psychologically insane. Creating the Goldwater Rule is when you have not personally diagnosed a patient or the patient is from a long time ago. You cannot make comments about their, you know, their mental stability. But yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, to be fair, you know, back then you could, I mean, hundreds years ago, you could say anything about any president's health because even if they're young, they could have still died of a lot of things. Now the general rule is unless you are, you know, already got a long-term condition, you know, you're likely to live out your presidential term. Joe Biden will turn 80. You know, it was a miracle Reagan wasn't killed. He was 70. And the, the only reason he survived was because he was in such good health. And then he lived to a very good age. So, you know, it's fair to wonder... I mean, Trump was very poorly with COVID. He was in hospital. I mean, it's a good job he didn't die.
0: This is not something that's going away. We're going to have to keep talking about it. Hopefully, not in hindsight. And thankfully, you know, JFK's assassination, you know, that was. You know, the 60s. Thankfully, we haven't had a president die in office since and or been assassinated, although we've had the close calls. So long may that trend last. But Sarah Stuck, we love talking history with you. Always appreciate having you on. Let folks know what you've got coming up, what you're working on now and where they can follow you until we have you back on again, because you're one of our regulars and we enjoy having you.
1: I've said it for the past probably three episodes I've been on that. I will do one about vice president's. I promise I will do it, but it takes a lot longer when you don't know as much about vice presidents as you do first ladies, and I do have other things I have to write for the publications. So I promise, promise, promise. I will. The first one will be done at some point. It's going to be pretty long. i doing it in multiples of seven because it matches up with the number. I promise, promise, promise. But um, for the Malad, I'm just doing one about fascinating European royals who aren't as well known, so there won't be any Catherine the Greats or, you know, Henry VIII, I'm going to be doing people you might not have heard of who have done some amazing things. Uh, Flexions Daily, uh, this piece actually got quite a lot of um, interest, which was fun, so maybe I'll leave the vice president for now and just keep doing a bit of trivia until I can finally do that first article on them.
0: Yeah, the only European royal that I know that I wrote of was Ludwig of Bavaria, of course, who built New Schwanstein and who magically drowned without having any water in his lungs and his doctor drowned with him by osmosis, also not having any water in his lungs. So that's the only role I remember because I wrote about New Schwanstein. Sheriff Stooks, thank you so much for the time today. Love having you. We'll do it again real soon. Uh, welcome back to hotel. We always try to end on a good note. This one, you really need to watch the video. We'll link to it in the show notes. But it's an incredible piece of video. Uh, the regionals uh, for the Little League World Series are being played to see who gets to go to Williamsport. Always an exciting event. Uh, a team from Texas was playing a team from Oklahoma when this happened. This is from the AP. Uh, right-hander Caden Shelton of Peer- Pearland, Texas was facing batter Isaiah Jarvis of Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tuesday when an 0-2 pitch got away from him and slammed into Jarvis's helmet. Jarvis fell to the ground, clutching his head as concerned coaches ran to his aid, but after a few moments, he was fine. The helmet had caught most of it, and his head cleared enough. He took his base and prepared to continue the game. Meanwhile, Shelton stood on the mound, staring at the ground in tears over what happened was visibly upset. After a moment, Jarvis called time and walked to the mound and put his arms around Shelton, telling him, hey, you're doing great, let's go. Shelton's teammates and coach gathered around the pair to join in, consoling the young righty. The gesture drew a standing ovation. Pearland went on to beat Tulsa 9-4 to in advance to the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, starting next week. An amazing show of sportsmanship. This could have been really bad. It caught kind of the ear flap and the bill of the helmet another inch or two, and this might have been a different story. Played out well the best of what youth sports should be in too often is not, please go watch the video. We'll link to it in the show notes. That'll do it for Her-tel. Uh As always, we'd love to hear from you. HerdTelShow at gmail.com. Show on the Twitter. We've done whole shows and whole segments just based off your questions, concerns, epistles, whatever you got. Got some criticisms? We we'll might even do a segment on that. Be nice. Keep your bearing. But we'd love to hear from you and take your questions and interact with you. Because if you're not listening, there's no point in us doing this. It's a partnership. So in the meantime, wherever you and yours are, across the street or around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for more Hurt Tell. All the music on Hurtel is provided under a creative content license from Monstercat.com.